My name is Captain Zach, and this is Along the Keel. As a lifelong waterman, I have gone coast to coast having opportunities to rub elbows with some incredibly hardworking men and women who have built their lives by the shoreline. I take you behind the scenes of some of the most iconic coastal brands, chat with entrepreneurs, and chop it up with the people who are making a difference on our coastal communities. Born from the need, built by the water, get ready to earn your summer. What's up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Along the Keel. Thank you for tuning in. And in this week's episode of the podcast, we actually get to sit down and talk with Al Perkinson, the founder of Bahio Sunglasses. After well over a decade of building Costa Sunglasses as the VP of Marketing, Al decided to change his course, take his experience with the sunglass industry and his time with Costa, and also his experience is just growing up on the ocean, in the outdoors, and his love for the ocean and building a positive change, and created Bahio, which in short means the shallows, or the estuary, or low country, and it really is the origin for life in the oceans, right? Striped bass, redfish, they all kind of migrate up into the estuaries, create and mate, and then come back to the oceans, and they go about their lives. So with that, Al took the idea of conservation, education, community, and all these awesome things that make up what Bahio really stands for. So that and more in this episode of Along the Keel. Very excited to have Al on the podcast today and talk all about his experience building the company Bahio. Thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. If you want to learn more, head on over to alongthekeel.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. Also, check us out on social media. We are always post on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. And if you stick with us, sign up for our newsletter. We're going to be sending you some great announcements in the very near future, working with some great brands coming up. And we're actually introducing a new segment of the show that focuses not only on the brands, but also the people. So with that, I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the show, and we will catch you at the end. Doing yeah. great. Monday morning, you know. Ryan, right? Started <laughs> out good. Cup of coffee in hand, good to go. Good Weather to down go. There, pretty good. Yep, it's all good. How you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Staying busy out on the water, so can't complain. But, um, you know, it's a pleasure to be able to have you on the podcast today. And um, I just wanted to welcome you to Along the Keel and just, you know, thank you for taking the time to talk about Bahio. And uh, we spoke a little bit last time, but, you know, if you could just kind of give us a quick intro as to who Al Perkinson is. Who Al Perkinson is. Wow. That's a big question, man. Oh. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I tell my wife all the time, I'm a simple kind of man, you know, but um, no, I, I, uh, you know, I guess a little bit about my background. I um, I have been in the fishing industry for, I guess, 20 years now. Mm -hmm. And uh, before that, I was in sort of marketing and advertising. I was born in North Carolina, so I consider myself a Carolina boy and grew up, you know, running through the woods with my brothers and fishing in creeks and heading down to the coast and fishing down there. So I always loved, loved the outdoors. But you know, it really wasn't until I started working in the industry that I got to take it up a notch and just go to some really cool places to fish and fish for all kinds of species with all kinds of rods in my hand. And, um, you know, so so that's, uh, you know, a bit of my background. We started this company, I guess, uh, we launched about five or six months ago. So we're pretty, pretty new and pretty young. And... Yep. Um, so it was, uh, it's been great so far. And, you know, it's just kind of the culmination, I guess, of my career in, mm -hmm. in fishing and, um, and a chance to pull all my friends together and do something really fun. That's awesome. Yeah. So now where in North Carolina did you grow up? Well, I was born in Charlotte, North Carolina. And then my family moved around a little bit. We moved away and then came back to a little town called Laurenburg. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Laurenburg's probably 10 or 15,000 people, really rural. So big hunting and fishing type of community. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's nothing to do. I mean, there really, <laughs> there weren't any restaurants or definitely weren't any bars, uh, except some pretty shady places out in the country. Um, yep. So, yeah, I mean, 
just for fun on a weekend when I was in high school, we would go out to somebody's land and um, have a party and just, you know, open the trunks of our cars so we could hear the speakers. And that was our stereo system and uh, hang out, drink beer and, you know, do other kinds of things and wake up yep. the next morning and go dove hunting, you know, so that was kind of, kind of how we rolled all through high school. Yeah. Now was that, I, I, you know, forgive me if I'm not too familiar with that place, but is that by the coast at all? It's only about 90 miles from the coast. So okay. it, it's Eastern North Carolina and feels very coastal. Best barbecue in the world. I'm just going to, just going to tell you, I know a lot of people in Texas would disagree with that, but Eastern North Carolina is uh, the home of King's Barbecue and all the other great vinegar-based uh, sauces. So, uh, so yeah, pretty That's close. You know, they're all like different depending on where you are in the United States. It's almost like a dialect, right, or like an accent depending on if you're in North Carolina versus Texas versus Florida. All different types of barbecue. It's kind of a interesting take on on something that's pretty. I guess, culturally significant here in the United States. You don't get it anywhere, anywhere else. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, right. I mean, maybe different types of barbecue, but, um, so you being yeah. dynamized from the coast now, what was it the draw to saltwater, right? Because now your whole life kind of seems to revolve around saltwater. So was there a, a friend of a family member that kind of got you into that? Yeah. You know, when I guess just part of the culture of the Carolinas is the beach life. You know, there's, they even had music called beach music, which everybody had, the shag was the dance, you know, and it was a unique type of dance to, to that part of the world, um, really influenced by a lot of the, you know, African-American music and culture. And so if you grow up in the Carolinas, you're just, unless you're in like far Western North Carolina, but if you grow up in East North Carolina, the beach is just part of your life as part of the culture. So every summer, um, you know, you go down to the beach and back then beach houses were pretty cheap, you know? So a lot of my friends own beach houses and we would just hang out at the beach and, you know, the, the fishing is, I don't know, the fishing wasn't like the Florida Keys or something, but it, it was still good. And it was, it was fun to get out on the water. So there's a lot of sort of inshore marshy type of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then offshore, you had to go out pretty far, but, um, so we didn't do as much offshore, but we definitely fished all around there. And then all the rivers and creeks that, you know, dump out on the beach you know, we do camping trips up those, those guys and, um, you know, catch a lot of freshwater species up there. So it was all just yeah. kind of integrated in our life, the beach, the saltwater, the freshwater it was kind of all mixed together, really, you know? Any, uh, any, uh, moments where you guys were maybe got the boat a little bit stuck on the marsh or, or beached up a little too far and had to spend the night. <laughs> um, man, we had all kinds of, all, all kinds of calamities and moments. Um, I can't, uh, can't think of one right off, right off the bat that was seminal, but, um, you know, I had, I had three younger brothers and then, um, you know, growing up in high school, just a whole posse of, of guys that we hung out with. And, um, so we were always getting into trouble of one kind or, or another for sure. Mm -hmm. So now as the older brother, you were kind of the, the lead, the, the posse, uh, the leader, I guess you would say, right now is all the rest of the family, are they in the outdoor industry as well? Or do they kind of go off and do their own thing? Yeah, it kind of a mix, you know, my, uh, so I'm the oldest, the next one down, uh, Ken, he, uh, he is, I would say he is more of a true outdoor guy uh, than any of us. And, you know, he and I were sort of the two that, that were always outdoors. Ken uh, grew up to be a golf pro, and then he switched over to be into fly fishing. And he ran lodges down in Belize and in the Bahamas. And uh, he's such an incredible athlete, man. In golf, he was, you know, a scratch golfer and he picks up a fly rod and he's casting better, better than I am in like six months, you know, and he was running a lodge in the Bahamas. So Flip Pallet and Lefty Cray and all these dudes would come down and give Very him cool. lessons and stuff. So he got to be incredible. Um, and uh, 
then I've got a brother who's in the restaurant business and he was, he was like the musician, you know, and always got, he's good looking, got all the girls. So now he's still like Mr. Host of the restaurant and does that whole nightlife. And then the youngest was in education. He was a smart one. So he's, uh, he's still in education as a headmaster of a school. And, you know, so we're all a little bit different, but, um, you know, we, we all come together around the outdoors, mostly for fishing, but also, you know, play a little bit of golf and stuff like that too. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, it, it, it seems to be a theme. I feel like in families where, you know, either the parents or the brothers and sisters are all in into it. And that's kind of how I got into the outdoors and into boating and fishing and, and not, not a whole lot of hunting, although I talked to a lot of hunters for work, but it's not a matter of uh, something that I quite partake in. Um, but with that being said, you know, you mentioned that you grew up kind of on the lowlands and the flats of North Carolina, which is a perfect introduction into, you know, the name Bahio, right? Which is the name of your sunglass brand. And, you know, before that, I think kind of covering where you came from is a perfect introduction as to where you went, right? And right out of, you know, I'm assuming right out of school, you went right into or led yourself down into the path of working for one of the largest companies out there that produces sunglasses that everyone knows the name of, which is Costa. So what was the process from you kind of taking your passion for the outdoors and then moving it into something that you actually do for a living? Yeah, well, it was definitely a process, you know, and I, I, uh, I started out as, um, you know, in my, in my business career, I went to college and, you know, didn't do too well my first year, pretty much flunked out of college my first year. And weird kind of is a tale, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I just, I didn't like, I couldn't find anything that was interesting or that motivated me. Um, so I went to work as a rural land surveyor and rural land surveyors, man, you, you show up to work and they hand you a bush ax and a chainsaw and you're out in like remote woods, cutting lines all day long, every day. But what was really cool about it is that for about two years, I was in the woods from dawn till dusk. And so it was through all kinds of weather. You never had a day off, you know? So if, if it's raining, if it's snowing, hot, cold, whatever, and really difficult physical labor. So anyway, we were out there and what I learned was like, I could, after being out there, you know, dawn till dusk for a long period of time through all the seasons, you get a sense of the outdoors, right? And you get to feel it. And so you can feel like mother nature and how powerful it is. Um, and so I, I, you know, I, I kept that as in my mind as, and I was like, you know, I need to do something in the outdoors because this just like, you know, feeds the soul, man. It's so, it's so powerful. It's, it's so, so cool. Um, but it was, but then, you know, after I got out, of went back to school and graduated finally, went to grad school and stuff. Um, but it took a while for me to be able to do exactly what I wanted to do because uh, I felt like I had to learn my trade, right? My trade was marketing. So I went to right. work on Madison Avenue for a while and to work with the best, you know, and really learn those those skills, knowing that when the opportunity came along for a job in the outdoors, that I would have the skills so I could actually get that job. So it was mm -hmm. it was a, it was tough going through that because I wasn't really passionate about a lot of the stuff I was doing, except right. for, you know, except for the marketing piece of it, wasn't super passionate about it. Um, but I knew I had to do it so that I'd have the opportunity to do what I was passionate about later yeah. on. So I went to work for a little ad agency in South Carolina and, um, you know, met met some people at Costa when and it was just a tiny little six million dollar brand out of mm -hmm. Florida. And when I as soon as I met a man, I was like, OK, this is the brand that's going to really fuel my passion and be really in tune with what I want to do. So mm -hmm. got him as a client, did that for a few years. They asked me to come over and head up marketing when they got, you know, big enough. Um, so I, I did that. And then it was a, a really cool wild ride for probably what, 15, 17 years, something like that. Yeah, I can imagine. And, and it's, 
and it came from humble beginnings, like you being a land surveyor out in the woods, working with your hands. And then all of a sudden you're kind of, you know, in some way you're still working with your hands on the water, but you're also using your mind to kind of construct this incredible brand. Now, what was it about marketing that you were drawn to, right? Cause here you are being a land surveyor, you know, like a mountain man. Right. And all of a sudden you're like, now nah, I'm going to go, you know, try and get people to buy things or, or be invest their time into someone else's brand. Like what's kind of your mindset and mentality when a you're trying to build a brand, but B also, why is it that you were drawn to that? Like you could have gone sales, you could have gone operations, could have been a lot of different things you went, but you chose marketing, which I think is a very interesting, you know, path to go down humbling path. Well, you know, the other, the other part of this is sort of in the creativity realm. So when I did go back to school, I became a sculpture major. So I, um, I, at first I was a business major cause I didn't know what majors were. I didn't know what to do. And I walked into to like accounting class and man, it was like the most boring thing I'd ever seen in my life. And the, the people in the business classes, I don't know. They just seemed like they were kind of dead. There wasn't any life there. So they were like learning accounting and learning marketing and sales and all this kind of stuff, but they didn't really seem very passionate about it. And I didn't really see a lot of creativity going on there. So, you know, I knew that eventually I'd probably want to be in some sort of business. So I decided to switch over and be an art major. And uh, sculpture was really appealing because I, I could work with my hands and I actually, when, when I'd be out surveying, I would find all these objects, old rusted things, and just collect them because I thought they were cool. <laughs> and uh, so then my first sculpture was made out of, I called it bucket art. It was all these old rusted buckets and stuff I'd found out in the woods. Um, but anyway, it, it just kind of started this idea that if you could learn to be creative and think creatively, you know, develop that right side of your brain, then you could be a really powerful business person because there wasn't a lot of creativity in business. So that was, at that point, that was kind of my goal and was to learn how to be creative and then to bring ideas and creativity, you know, into, into uh, business and into the, you know, the business world. And uh, I did that in grad school as well. I, I got a degree in arts administration. So I would take an accounting class in the afternoon and a sculpture class in the evening. And I thought my head was going to explode, but got through it and um, then found advertising, which was a very creative form of business. Um, and that then led to, uh, you know, to branding and, and to marketing. And, mm -hmm. and the reason I loved it was because it was kind of like sculpture. You know, you take a brand, it's this thing and it's a living, breathing thing. And so you could, you know, just like it's a hunk of clay, you know, you could, you know, I could take my skills that I learned in sculpture and in sculpture, you work on the whole object all at the same time, right? You don't stay in one place, you move around the whole thing. And so it was great training for building a brand because a brand is multidimensional and you really have to work on all components of a brand at, you know, at not stay in one place too long in order to build something really cool. So combining the outdoors, combining creativity, uh, you know, Costa became kind of like my, my artist workshop and just uh, worked things out and tried new things over a long period of time and was lucky enough to have the freedom and flexibility to do that. Yeah, and you created a very, I mean, it's an iconic brand, right? When you think fishing up until, you know, now, right? When Bahia is coming out on the market, but it was all it was costa right so your piece of art you know if you if you will like i love how you describe it as that because so much of i think a brand is reflective of the people who create it right and you know coast is just an incredible brand where it's it's all fishing conservation there's a lot of different aspects to it now you know you you leave costa right somewhat recently in recent times and you know you go out and you're like okay well i've kind of gone about building Costa and you dabbled in a few other places, but never really leaving the outdoor industry. Now, what other, when you left Costa, Costa, what was the, what was the path that led you to creating Bahio? Right. And, and I, before we even go into that, I think it's really important to touch on the fact that 
you've been a sunglass guy for what now almost 20 years yep roughly right roughly why is it do you think sunglasses are so important to the outdoor community i know we touched on a little bit last time but you know you mentioned that it was very transformative right like you put those sunglasses on and you become a different person so what what is it that attracts you to keep on going with sunglasses rather than any any other product you could create backpacks t-shirts what have you but you chose sunglasses yeah, well, you know, I, I like durable goods for one thing, you know, durable products. A hat and a t-shirt, I mean, some of mine last a lot longer than my wife would want them to, but uh, they're kind of short-lived, you know? Yeah. And um, something that's that's uh, more of like a durable good lasts for a longer period of time. And so because it does, you're going to spend a lot more time crafting it. And you're going to care a lot more about all the details of it, uh, more so than you would in a soft goods situation. So, you know, I think, therefore, it's going to have more meaning to the people in the company that the people who are making it and, uh, you know, more meaning to the people who own it. You know, Mm -hmm. so if you own uh, I mean, it's not like a firearm or a fly reel that could last for 30 years, but, you know, it's along that along those lines, but sunglasses are just a, a cool product. I mean, if you think about it, you know, when, when people put on a pair of sunglasses, it like, they want to adopt a new personality, you know, like Mm -hmm. you'll put on a pair and you'd be like, Hey, I'm Clint Eastwood, you know, or I'm dirty Harry, or I'm, you know, like a rock star, you know, um, and, and so, you know, or, or a beauty queen or, or whatever, you know, but it, it changes you. And so it's fun to play around with that sort of, like you said, transformative nature of Mm -hmm. the product and, um, to have some fun with it. So, so that's, that's a, that's something that when you start marketing, you know, clothing and apparel and stuff like that, I don't know, it's just not quite, it's not there quite as much. The other thing, though, is it's um, maybe it's a little more like philosophical or whatever, but your eyes, you know, are your window to the world. And so vision and sight, uh, they lots of times have double meanings, you know, like what's your vision for the world and what's the vision in terms of your eyes? So there's a concrete and then there's a more philosophical kind of thing. And so when you're marketing sunglasses, building sunglasses, it's very easy to integrate sort of higher purpose types mm-hmm. of ideas and thoughts into it that, um, you know, you're seeing the world, but, you know, you're also, you know, seeing, um, you know, how the world ought to be or seeing what's wrong with the world, things like that. So it's really fun from a, like an intellectual standpoint to, to play around with with that um, in the marketing, you know, of the product. And then when it comes to fishing specifically, uh, you know, if you ask most professional anglers, mm-hmm. they will tell you that obviously the rod is the most important piece of equipment that they have because you can't catch fish without a rod. But second is their sunglasses, because if you can't see the fish, you can't catch it in most, unless you're just trolling or something. Um, right. So, you know, ha- having the ability to create a product that really makes a difference in, you know, the enjoyment of the sport. Because, you know, we all like, hey, if you don't catch any fish, it's like, well, it was a great day. It's all about the experience. Yep. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like bullshit. I mean, you want to catch some fish when you're out there fishing. I mean, come on. So so anyway, it. I mean, it is about the experience for sure. But um, it's great to catch fish and sunglasses will, if they're great, sunglasses can help you catch more fish. So. Yeah, definitely. So both philosophical and functional, you know, and, and I love the fact that you kind of integrate that. And, and I think in a lot of ways, you've taken your vision through your glasses, right, and made and constructed a different coastline, right, is kind of what you're looking for. Like a lot of the conservational work you guys do, how the sunglasses are produced, the whole from the top down, you've really kind of taken it piece by piece to almost create your vision of what you want to see along our coastlines, you know, whether it be here in the U.S. or elsewhere, because I know you guys do a lot of work down in Mexico and, and, and a bunch of other places, too. 
Um, but it, you're so right. Like, you know, you put those sunglasses on and there's almost like a light switch, right? You become, you know, Zach to Captain Zach or, you know, Al to Captain Al. And it's like you hop on the boat and if you don't have your sunglasses, you better bet I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go grab mine because you just need them, you know, functionally. But also they serve they serve a purpose from your perspective, you know. So you go from Costa, you, you decide, all right, sunglasses are definitely the deal. You create Bahio, right? And Bahio in, uh, in Spanish means lowlands, right? So what was it about that you kind of steered your way into creating an incredible brand like Costa to really creating what you saw or what you wanted to see in the market with Bahio? And then what was your whole process in, in creating that name? Because it's such a great name. It's something that the Lowlands are an underdog, right? I know we talked about that last time a little bit and the importance of it. But the Lowlands are a place that, you know, everything starts in, but not a lot of people give credit to. So why was it that you created that, the brand, I guess, as a whole, but more so about the name? Because I really like the story behind it. Yeah, so we, um, you know, it was, it was interesting when we decided to start this company, you know, I left and left Costa uh, and, you know, went to work for a company out in Bozeman, Montana called Sims. And I'd, I'd known the people at Sims for a long time. And they had asked me a few times if I would come over and, you know, do what we did at Costa at Sims. And so I uh, finally, at, after Costa was purchased um, by a huge company, I could see the writing on the wall that, you know, things were going to go in a direction that I was going to lose control of. And that wasn't the place that I wanted to be personally. Uh, it's great for them, but wasn't good for me. So we jumped on them. We're like, what the hell, man? Let's leave Florida and go out to Montana. We love Montana. So we did that. We did that for a bit and found that 35 degrees below zero was more than the Southern boy could take. But uh, and my Jeep too, man, my Jeep just like blew up, man. The top blew up the freaking battery the dudes at the at the garage laughed at my battery like where are you from man florida i'm like well actually yeah it's like man you need a much bigger battery than this so um and then we had to get freaking snow tires with the spikes in them and everything it was crazy yeah. <laughs> uh snow blowers all that stuff but anyway we um all the while we're sort of watching what was happening down in in florida with the merger and everything and i decided to come back and um and eventually said, hey, now's the time. And if we really want to do, you know, the sort of the mission oriented stuff that we want to do, um, you know, I can't like ask another company to adopt my vision in that way. Right. Uh, and so we said, you know, look, if we really want to do what we want to do with business and with a business and with a brand, we're just going to have to do it ourselves. We're going to have to own it and do it ourselves. So it was a hard decision uh, because we'd never done it before. Uh, and, but we decided what the hell we're going to go for it. And so, so we did. And, and about the time we decided that COVID hit and uh, sent us back to, you know, our, our house and, and uh, we're sequestered there for another three or four months. Mm -hmm. uh, but it was a good time because we got to actually change a lot of things and think a lot of things, you know, think about a lot of things, um, and one of the things was the name. And originally we were going to call it Panga because Panga is the boat that we thought it was symbolic um, that, you know, this little simple boat had really transformed the economies of a lot of undeveloped countries. Mm -hmm. And um, it was so versatile. It could go in shallow water. It could go in deep water. Um, and, in, and it was really inexpensive, you know, so it, it, and, for Marguerite and I, I mean, we love just sort of exploring in that part of the world. And so this, the Panga was the place where all our best adventures, all our best memories had occurred on a Panga. All, some of the yeah. greatest people in the world we'd met, you know, we met on a Panga. Um, but it, it was very specific, a real specific name. And so we decided that we wanted something bigger, something that talked about this world that we wanted to help mm -hmm. change, you know, this part of the world. And the place we wanted the brand to live. And we found, stumbled upon this name, Bahio, and it was a, an old Mexican name. It's not really used that much, but it means the saltwater flats. It means the lowlands, the marshes. 
And it's those places where, you know, the next generation of fish, that's where they are right now today. They're sitting in those low-lying places. And if they get destroyed, if they're not, you know, if they're not healthy, then there's no next generation of fish, of any kind of fish. And so it seemed like, um, you know, that that was a, the perfect name for the brand. And, um, you know, it was, it was the place that we wanted to live in. And it was a place that was super important to the oceans. Um, and then we started thinking about it, too. And we're like, look, what we've also always enjoyed doing is bringing young people into the outdoors. So whether it's high school fishing or college fishing or, or whatever, you know, you can just tell when you bring them in and you get them out there and they're not used to being there, it just transforms them, you know, and turns, it opens their eyes. They get more connected to themselves and to the outdoors. And it's a powerful thing. And we also know that the next generation of fishing is not going to survive unless we have a new generation of young people coming in. So then it kind of clicked and we're like, wow, Bahio, man, it's all about the next generation. And, right. um, and so we stuck with that name. We're like, well, our boys in North Carolina aren't going definitely are not going to know how, how to pronounce it. Um, and true to form, we've got all kinds of cool pronunciations of, of the name so far. <laughs> uh, well, you know, the dudes in the dudes in Louisiana, they kind of give it the bayou. So they, they think that, they're thinking in terms of bayous down there, so they call it bayou. And then Baggio is pretty pretty popular. I'm not sure many people get the J as an H and call it Bahio, but um, you know, it's we have fun with it, so it's it's been kind of cool. I love it. I love it, and, and it doesn't seem like you guys have forgotten too much about the panga because I could be mistaken, but it's in your logo, right? I mean, the- it is. It is. It's in the logo. And uh, some people think it's a surfboard, but it's definitely a panga. And uh, so we kept a piece of the panga and then we bought a panga and <laughs> we have we have some if on our YouTube channel. You can see the film of us uh, refurbishing the panga and, and uh, yeah. fixing it up and stuff like that. Very cool. Connect to a bus, right? A little school bus. <laughs> a little school bus. Yeah. Yeah. Great combo. So you mentioned this whole idea of, you know, the lowlands, younger generation, next generation people coming in. What is it that you guys are doing? Because you guys have so many different conservational aspects to Bahio too. Um, So you get your, you know, you design the sunglasses, you start putting them out there, but you, you have such a strong relationship with these guys down in Mexico, as well as a really strong relationship with a lot of other, you know, coastal conservation communities and whatnot. And and you also mentioned, which I wasn't aware of, that you do a lot of work with, you know, the younger generation. Can you kind of speak a little bit more towards that? Because, you know, in my opinion, the younger generation is really going to be, obviously, it's that next generation of people, but it's going to be the people that kind of rebrand what we've typically seen the fishing and hunting industry, if we loop those back into one another, the outdoor industry, um, and rebrand it, right? Because for so many years, it's kind of been, you know, seen as this negative area that we don't want to talk about, right? Where hey, you're killing fish. Well, it's like, yeah, you're also at the end of the day, sure, that's what you're doing. But you're also opening up the the whatever, you know, type of fishery you're dealing with to a lot of conservation, right? If people want to fish for striped bass off the coast of Pollock Island, people are going to pay money to go stripe you know, fish for striped bass. And in turn, we're going to conserve that fishery. Whereas if we just let it go to everyone else's own devices, that fishery would be gone. Right. So there's a lot of different aspects to it. And I love the fact that you're focusing on the, the younger generation guys like myself. So what is it that you guys have kind of done, you know, to put pen to paper and really start pushing that? Well, I think part of it is just as we were outlining, you know, the brand itself, and thinking about the values of the brand, uh, we really want to align those with the values of the Gen Y, Gen Z crowd. And so we've done, you know, I've got I've got three sons who are in that crowd, and and Marguerite's got two daughters uh, that are that are in that age group. So we have a lot of real life experience with that crew, but uh, you don't always know if they're typical of everybody else. And um, so I, you know, I've seen a lot of fishing brands. Um, really speak to the baby boomers and older, but not a lot speak to, you know, the the teens and the 20-something 
eight-year-olds. And it's a, it's, you know, that generation, starting with the millennials, um, is completely different than the older generation. It's a huge change that has occurred. It's like when the Industrial Revolution came along. Uh, the internet has created a social shift in the values and the way that they approach social constructs, the way they approach business, that is significantly different. A lot of the older brands have found it really difficult to speak that language because it is a different language. Uh, so competition is not as important. It's more about collaboration and inclusion, for example. Uh, mm -hmm. Pros as these sort of heroes up on a pedestal, uh, not so interested in those. I'm, you know, they're more interested in, you know, the real person behind that pro, right? That um, you're not, you know, you have have a family, you have kids, you have things you like to do besides championship fishing or whatever. Uh, right. So it's not not so much about that. They're very much more about purpose than they are about profit. And and uh, you know, being someone who's built purpose driven brands, right? You know, that's exactly what what they're looking for. But they also want brands that'll help them figure out how to do something for themselves. So it's not just, hey, you know, your brand is purpose driven, so I'm going to support your brand. But how can I participate and be part of that and make mm -hmm. a contribution to that? Um, they're very much about inclusion. You know, the internet is all about all different walks of life, all different personalities and philosophies come together. And so they're very much about inclusion and not some exclusive little club. Uh, so anyway, um, all of those um, those ideas and philosophies have kind of gone in to creating uh, the Bahio brand. And then we've also pulled in, you know, 20 something year olds to build the brand. So our photographer just graduated from UT, uh, University of Texas, uh, and he's he's our photographer and our videographer just graduated from there as well. And and she's our videographer. And then our, you know, our whole cast of characters that we're using in our photo shoots and, you know, to be the face of the brand, they're yeah. all in their 20s, you know, and they're different colors and different, you know, male and female and so forth. And mm -hmm. so, um, so that's, that's been a, a start. Uh, but we also, you know, it's, I think what a lot of those folks are enamored with is, you know, traveling, you know, adventure travel is huge and being able to go to places, but not just like travel to be a tourist, but travel and connect to those other cultures. So mm -hmm. meeting the local people, understanding their community, um, you know, not being sort of the great white savior of uh, colonialism that was sort mm -hmm. of the past generation's mindset, but being, you know, equal to equal. And, and so we try to pull those ideas out. And so when we go to places, we want to talk to the locals and film the locals and, you know, eat meals with the locals and, uh, and, and understand their community and so forth. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Mexico is kind of a perfect example of that with, um, I'm going to pronounce it wrong. It, X, X flats or. Yeah. X flats is a little lodge that a 20 something year old started and the town is called Ishkalak. Ishkalak. Okay. There you yeah. go. Very cool. Yeah. So now what is that really? It seems like you guys have kind of, that's almost having gone on YouTube and dug into a little bit of the, the backstory of the brand. That's kind of the, the start of really telling these stories and traveling around and, and kind of, you know, in a way spreading the, the word of what you guys have to do, but in a very organic matter. Right. And in, in Ishkalak, he has such a, I think I can't, was his name starts with a J. I can't quite remember what his name was. Jesse. Jesse. All right. There we go. I was close. <laughs> um, Jesse is very much so embedded into the population down in Ishkalak, right? He's not just some guy that's down there with a lodge. He's really making this whole culture around what Bahio stands for, you know, and vice versa. So, you know, that seems like such a super component, um, important component to what you guys are creating. But then there's this whole other thing where, you know, you're really putting your money where your mouth is, which I think a lot of brands do is they do greenwashing, right? And that's not something that you guys stand for. So having these sustainably sourced 
products like the, you know, your sunglasses, even the cases, right? The microfiber towels that you do to, you know, clean off the lenses. What has been the process there? Because even with COVID, there's been a huge short in the supply chain. You know, you're, you're focused on building the brand. And then also this, this whole thing of, all right, how do we figure out how to make these things super sustainable? Yeah, I mean, that's a whole, that's a whole, uh, a whole nother deal. I mean, we, you know, starting in COVID was probably, you know, not the smartest thing we've ever done, but somehow we've freaking pulled it off and I don't know exactly how, but then starting in COVID and requiring that everything we do is done sustainably was really insanity. Um, but, you know, I feel like we've, you never, you never like get to the finish line on that stuff. You're constantly having to look at improving and looking at new things, new ways to make things, new materials that are available and so forth. But, you know, you start off with, um, you know, it has to kind of come from the top and you say, guys, we're going to do things sustainably because that's what is the right thing to do. And, um, you know, the residue of our production is going to impact the places we love the most. So we've got to reduce the impact either by buying offsets or by having a cleaner supply chain or, you know, or all of the above, really. So, for example, we went out on our on our case, our sunglass case, mm -hmm. and we looked at all these different cases. And the one that we landed with was a, uh, a leather. You know, it was a re it was a leather that was tanned in a sustainable way using sustainable materials. Uh, so it was a, a green case. Mm hmm. And we said, hey, you know, leather doesn't sound green, but if you think about it, um, you know, it lasts forever. So you right. don't have to buy one every year. You can, it'll last you for 10 years. Um, it's made sustainably. It's a food byproduct is mm -hmm. where the leather comes from. It sounds kind of gross, but that's what it is. And, um, you know, if you ever do get rid of it, it's completely compostable and biodegradable. So right. a great story. The only problem with it we found was, we thought, was that, um, you know, growing growing cows and that whole meat industry is really bad for the environment. It's one of the big causes for cutting down the rainforests in Brazil, you know. And so by making basically that their supply chain more profitable, we're kind of supporting something that we don't believe in. Right. So we went to work looking for another one. And we, what we came up with was uh, we found some dudes down in Mexico who were taking cactus and turning it into leather. And they, hmm. it was really sustainable because it doesn't take any water to grow cactus. And then they dry it in the sun. So it doesn't take any electricity to do that. And then they had followed like the reach, um, you know, sustainability standards from Europe. So it was like, I don't know, 700 different things, boxes they have to check to be right. sustainable. So that's what we ended up with. And that's what we actually have now. So it's a process. You come up with something that's good, but then you got to, you know, you have to keep keep going um, right. to figure it out. But it's also something we found that consumers are really interested in. So some of our most successful you know, social media posts are about mm -hmm. the fact that, you know, our frames are made of plants or our case is made of cactus or whatever. People think that's cool and they really appreciate, you know, the impact that it, that it has. Yeah. It seems like, you know, with every business brand, whatever, even in life, like it's always a constant evolution, right? You kind of, you find something that works for a little bit and then hopefully, you know, within time you kind of grow and you figure out, well, this is a better way to do it or let's use this material. In your lifetime of building brands, right, and, and working with a lot of brands, what does that evolution look like, right? Like when you start with A and then you end up with where you are now and then all of a sudden five years from now, Bahio is going to look relatively the same but also completely different in a lot of ways. So you know, taking Coast as a case study, looking at what you're doing now with Bahio, what does that evolution mean to creating a brand, but creating a brand that lasts? Well, I think it's important, you know, not to get uh, so locked in mm -hmm. and to stay, stay flexible. Um, it's also really important to keep creating. And I think that's probably, I learned that you know, way back in my sculpture classes and my art classes, that the great artist 
they live longer than everybody else. And the reason they do is because their brain is constantly changing and reinventing and figuring out new ways to do things. Business really works against you in that because you come up with something, it sells really well, and then everybody expects you just to keep doing the same thing over and over again. I mean, you see it with mus- you know musical artists. They'll come up with a hit song and they want to continue to evolve their music, but their fans say, no, we don't want you to. We want you to keep singing the same Jimmy Buffett, we want to keep you, we want to hear Margaritaville a million times, man. You're not allowed to go do something else. Well, brands aren't really much different than that. Um, right. But but the thing is, I think you have to, um, you have to listen to your consumers. And I don't, I don't even like that word consumers, but listen to your tribe and allow your tribe in to help you create and recreate and innovate uh, with your brand and let them kind of help you take it where they want to take it. And so I think that's, that's super key. You have to stay open and you have to stay flexible. You can't be afraid to change and you can't, can't be afraid to, even though something's really working, you have to look three years down the road and say, Hmm, it's been going to work forever. What's next? So it is, I love the, the product line that Steve Jobs came up with after he left Apple for the first time, it was called Next. And mm-hmm. um, that's kind of what he stood for. And he's definitely one of my business, uh, one people I look up to in business. And it's just continuing to change and innovate. Um, and when you're a small company, it's a lot easier to do that than when you're a huge, huge company. So if you look at the fishing industry as a whole, you see that so many of the brands, probably 95% of them have been bought by giant companies. And what that does is it squashes innovation because the big companies just, it has to be huge in order to work. But for a small company, it can be small and still be, you know, something that's going to generate business for us and it's going to work. And that innovation, that constant stream of creativity and new ideas, that's what keeps it vital, keeps it alive. Uh, and ultimately, you know, keeps it competitive. Right. Now, do you think having that almost like an underdog mentality kind of helps play into that? Because in a lot of ways, you know, there are bigger brands out there. There are bigger people that can, you know, drop more money on marketing and drop more money on this and, you know, what have you. But there's something to be said about having that underdog, like, you know, kind of scratching at the door, always there, always doing something new and innovative that it seems like Bahio kind of follows that, that path, that ideology. Right. And I guess moving forward, like where do you see Bahio going in the next five, 10, 20 years? Well, I hope that we um, we can just continue to do a lot of the stuff uh, that we are doing, especially on, you know, the environmental side. Some of these uh, plans that we have, the vision that we have for really helping the saltwater flats around the country. Um, and freshwater flats as well. You know, this we want to be very inclusive in all of this. But they envision having the young people come in and be a driving force behind, you know, calling for change in, in government and, you know, in society that's going to allow us to continue to protect the, uh, the land that and the water that we love, you know, so much. And so... Uh, to, you know, it's, it's a big, it's a big vision. It's a big idea. And to get the young people of the entire world to rise up and say, no, we're not going to allow extractive industries. We're not going to allow ocean trash. We're not going to allow the sand mining people to come and take all the beaches. We're not going to allow people to cut down mangroves just so they can see the water better from their $5 million house. You know, we're not going to let the few really steal the future of the environment from the many, you know, it's just not fair. And we're going to stand up and make it happen. So it takes a long time to build that, um, you know, that, that tribe to build that momentum around that. Um, so I think our evolution is going to be in scale and it's going to be in the potency of our message and um, the power of our, of our tribe. Um, but I think we'll also, you know, we'll add, we'll add, 
new components um, that we don't even know about yet um, mm-hmm. and new dimensions. I hope we can really bring in to the to the outdoor world uh, culture. You know, even if I'm the most avid fisherman in the world, I don't fish 12 hours a day, you know, seven days a week. I do other stuff too. And I enjoy other things. And so we love food and music and travel. And um, so, you know, bringing all those components in, I think is something that we'll, we'll work on really hard also. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Well, hey, Al, it's been a real pleasure being able to talk with you for the next, you know, for the last like 50 minutes or so and learn all about Bahio and um, just getting to know you as a person, but, you know, also the brand behind and the mentality behind it. So thanks for coming on the show. And, um, you know, I guess if you could leave off with, you know, where can people learn more about Bahio? How can they get involved, buy a pair of sunglasses, support the, the community that you're, you're growing? Where can they do that? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the usual places. So our website's bahiosunglasses.com. And then, you know, we have a pretty good uh, following on Facebook and Instagram and, and YouTube right now. So those are great places just to get in and, and learn about um, what's happening at Bahio. And, and hey, give me a call. You know, if you ever want to chat, um, 406-595-4097. Happy to talk. I'm Al at bahiosunglasses.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Al. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right, Zach. Thank you, buddy. Thank you guys for sticking around towards the end here of the podcast. I hope you enjoyed the conversation that I had with Al. Such a genuine guy, um, you know, just really loves the ocean, really loves the community that he's building. And Bihio has some incredible content that I definitely suggest that you should go look at. I'll link it in the bio below. Um, But it's all about this this guy who builds a bus and is traveling around. He built out the bus. He's building out a panga and trying to go fly fishing. And it's a really cool segment, really cool series, I should say, that you should definitely go check out. Anyways, thanks again for tuning into the podcast. Like I said, sign up for our newsletter. Check us out on Instagram, Facebook. Give us a like, share, and a follow. And if you could, give us a five-star review. I can't tell you how important those are to me and the growth of this show. The more reviews we get, the better the podcast becomes and the more people that can find it. And it's all about algorithms and gobbledygook that I can get into, but they also make me feel good and I would appreciate it. So anyway, hope you guys enjoy every episode of Along the Keel and we have some exciting stuff coming down the pipe. So keep, keep me, uh, keep me posted on what you guys are doing out in the ocean and I will uh, talk to you guys soon. So with that, make sure to work hard, do good, be incredible and have an awesome day.